For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill After, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcasts and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Talking Sack. If this is your first time joining me, thank you so much. I hope that you will enjoy the episode and you will either subscribe on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform. Now, every week I tell you guys about how excited I am to have my guests on. And let me tell you, this week is no different, except I couldn't be more excited than I am right now because she is an absolute legend. But before we get to my guest, let's talk about patreon.com slash sassysteffy. Now, starting as low as $2 a month, you get all sorts of great exclusives. I have exclusives every week with my guests, so you want to check that out. In fact, last week, I had a bonus episode with Shelly Martinez, where she talks about one of her matches that was actually voted the worst match ever, and it's really interesting. So if you want to check that out, once again, go to patreon.com slash sassysteffy. If you decide that social media is more your thing, you can also follow along with me at SassySteffi on Instagram and on Twitter. Now, on to today's guest. Like I said, amazing and legendary. Doesn't even really cover it for her. I mean, she's an inspiration to so many women and so many professional wrestlers out there. And we're going to go and talk to her about her days in the independence as Starla Saxton. We're going to talk to her about her days in WCW as Miss Madness and as Mona. And then we'll jump into her WWE career where she was a two-time women's champion and a WWF hardcore champion. It is my honor and pleasure to introduce to you this year's first inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame. This is Molly Holly. Hey guys, welcome to Talking Sass. I am here with the one and only Molly Holly. Hi Molly, how are you? Hi, I'm doing good, thank you. Awesome. I just want to thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. I know you've been very busy and doing things within your life, so just thank you for taking the time. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Well, of course, I would honored just to have you like I approached you when I emailed you about it I was like I know it's unlikely but would you want to and when you said yes I was like through the roof excited like uh, well usually people come on these things to like promote something and yeah. I, I don't have anything to promote but I like you as a person and so I was like oh well send Stephanie yes I'll say yes <laughs> awesome well that's the thing like I like I, I love when people come on and promote stuff but I also like going over and just like talking about all aspects of your career, which I mean, that's like I told you earlier, I have a lot of notes on you. I, I 
could have you here for days talking to you, but I, I streamed it down a little bit so that we're not here all night. Sure. So the first thing that when I, obviously I know you from the past, we've crossed paths many times. And I was like, when you said yes, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go do all my research. So I have not just like my personal experiences, but, you know, everything behind you as well. And I found your Shooting the Crap documentary. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. So I first, like when I was listening to it, you didn't really have any interest in getting into wrestling at first because you were working at Subway and one of the associate managers that you were working under came in and was talking about wrestling and took you to see an actual wrestling training. How was that? Yeah, I mean, I was just curious, and um, I I had in my mind pictured that pro wrestlers wear, like, face paint, and um, when I got to the backyard and it was just people in, like, sweatpants, I was like, how is this pro wrestling? Like, I thought pro wrestling was, like, the costumes and these people didn't have costumes but I you know quickly discovered like oh this is the practice session and when it's showtime they put on the sparkles or whatever and um but I thought it was super weird that grown adults would be beating each other up in a backyard like it was very bizarre yeah I mean I can only imagine if you don't like when I broke into the wrestling like I was a ring announcer first so like I kind of knew what happened at trainings and stuff, but I guess if you don't have any idea, like walking into a training, like what to expect, that's crazy. Yeah. But you started training pretty soon after that, and one thing I love, because I did the exact same thing that you said in your documentary, was that you did a head scissors before you even learned how to bump, and I remember when I went into training, I was like, I want to do that. (laughs) Yep, yeah, I love gymnastics, and so I was like, well, how can I incorporate my gymnastics skills? I want to be like a high flyer, and And um, even, like, fast forward, when I was in the WWE, and there'd be, like, Deborah or some other um, personalities on the show that didn't know anything about wrestling, I'd be like, oh, come, let me show you a head scissor, you know, take over, let me show you. And I just wanted to, like, let me show you how to do Frankensteiner. Just because I, that's, like, the fun stuff. I mean, not to say that, like, chain wrestling can't have things about it that are okay, but, I mean, for me, anyway, I like to be flying all over the place. Oh, I definitely agree. Like I said, when I first saw that, when I walked into my training, I was like, I want to do that first. And they're like, no, you have to learn how to run the road and all <laughs> right. this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay. But, like, it's funny because when I actually started wrestling, like, that really wasn't my style. 90% of the time I was a heel, and I was just, you know, doing the cheating, you know, pulling the hair, all that kind of stuff. So the high-flying stuff, I really didn't do that often at all. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I didn't get to do it that much either because mm-hmm. – you need someone strong to and big to, like, support you. I mean, a lot of my career, I was wrestling Jacqueline, who's, like, five feet tall and 100 pounds, or wrestling. You know, there's, like, all these – Trish Stratus, also about five feet tall and 100 pounds. You know, all these, like, little people. And um, there's no, no way I could, like, jump off the top rope and do a big thing to them. Like, I would crush them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I didn't always get to do the stuff that I really wanted to. Yeah, I totally understand that. But when you finally debuted, you were wrestling, I think they said in front of, like, six people at that first show as Starla Saxton. Yeah. There were – well, my very first show, it was an outdoor show and had been raining all day. And so only, like, the diehard indie wrestling fans who lived in the neighborhood (laughs) – 
bothered to stay um, on their wet chairs and wait for the rain to subside for us to, to go out there. Um, yeah, it was definitely um, the, the smallest crowd, which is perfect for your first wrestling match. Like, it's hard to be nervous when there's just a couple of people there. Um, so that, for me, that worked out perfect. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, in that time, because I'm thinking now there's obviously a whole plethora of women. Were there a lot of women that you were able to work at that time? Uh, well, the whole reason I even got recruited into it is that in that pro wrestling school or training camp type thing, they only had one girl. Uh, her name was Brenda, and she wrestled as the wench, and she had kind of like a medieval, um, like, renaissance a character or whatever. It was, yeah. it was awesome. Like, but she was just um, like a manager. She wanted to wrestle, but they were like, well, we don't know any girls that are wrestling. And so that's kind of how I got recruited is because there just weren't enough girls. Um, I was kind of recruited to be her opponent. Um, so yeah, there weren't a ton. Um, and I was always excited on the Indies when I would meet someone new who was like looking to get into wrestling. I'd be like, oh, this is awesome. Here, let me show you this. Let me show you that. That's awesome. Were there any other difficulties that you had as women? Because, I mean, at that time, you know, women's wrestling wasn't even really that featured on any of the WWF or on uh, WCW at the time. It was really just kind of managers. Yeah, I didn't even think that I would ever be on TV. <laughs> so it didn't, like, concern me that there wasn't, like, women's division and there was no place for me to, like, become a star. Like, I just didn't care if I became a star or not. I was like, I can make 20 bucks doing this at the Born to Ride Saloon on Saturday. This is going to be amazing. Pay for my laundry. You know, like, I just didn't um, ever see it as becoming something more than a thing I would do on a Saturday night for just a little extra cash. Um, so it didn't bother me. And then I met uh, Malaya Hosaka, and she's like, I do this for a living. I don't just do it on Saturday. Like, this is my lifestyle. And I was like, what? You know, and so she's like, she kind of took me under her wing and it kind of showed me that you actually can make more money at it and you know, you can travel. And so she kind of like broadened my perspective of what I could do. And she said, especially on the Indies, if you are good, um, you can, you can like make a name for yourself and then people will request you. And so she really like took me around as her opponent um, and kind of got me familiar with, with the idea of having it be, like more than 20 bucks at the local bar. And that's awesome. And I mean, Malay Husaka, obviously a pioneer within the wrestling business, especially at that time. And another person who kind of, I guess, took you under their wing was Lonnie Poffo, because he got you into WCW to, originally from what I heard, was to help train Gorgeous George at the time. Yeah, so before I even... Um, so I met Lanny while I was doing, like, the backyard wrestling stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we, we would be on the same show. He'd be, like, signing autographs or maybe even wrestling just locally in the Tampa Bay area. So we kind of became friends. Um, and he was the one that introduced me to Macho Man Randy Savage. But it was actually Malaya Hosaka who got me booked in WCW at these Saturday TV tapings in Orlando. They would have um, – I forgot what the show was called, but it was a taping that they would do and it would air on a Saturday. And the matches didn't have storylines. It was just you tell the story in the ring, good versus evil. And the people who came to Disney World or Universal Studios would just be like the – that'd be one of the things they could go do while they're there is go sit and watch a wrestling match. And so Malaya was actually the one who was friends with Terry Taylor and Jimmy Hart. And so she kind of brought me on. So I 
did have some experience. I didn't have a contract. I didn't have, you know, it was just exciting if I got, if I was able to be on a TV show for a few minutes. So I did do that a few times before Macho Man gave me like my big break. Oh, that's awesome. Of course, that went on to be Miss Madness 99 and then turned into Mona, which I know that had to be like, because obviously the research, but that had to be awkward for you because you're not the beauty queen persona. And I know in the documentary or the shoot video, it said that like before that, the only time you wore heels was to prom or something very similar to that. Yeah, that's actually why I had to wrestle barefoot in WCW was because they want me to be glamorous and like wear high heels. But I'm like, well, I can hardly walk in high heels. How much is a wrestle wearing them? Like it's just... So I would do, I'd wear like a block heel to mm-hmm. make it a little bit easier. So I'd wear like a block heel. And then when I got to the ring, I would just slide them off and do like a missile drop kick or, you know, Macho Man let me get involved in a couple of different ways. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I definitely didn't feel like myself, but I thought, well, it, it wasn't, I mean, even though it wasn't me, I thought, well, this is kind of what pageantry and the show business aspect of pro wrestling is, is that you play a character, and I just happen to right now play a beauty queen character. Um, and my, even when Macho Man said he was going to give me that character, he's like, it's been done before. You know, it's not, this isn't like some, anyway, he was kind of just saying, this is one of the options that women have played in the past, and we'll just put you into that, and let's see what happens. And so even though it was kind of a boring gimmick, the fact that I got to do, like, actual maneuvers to people like Kevin Nash, Sting, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, I got to slap Hulk Hogan in the center of the ring, and the fans were going crazy, and, like, you know, so I thought, oh, like, even though my character's kind of boring, Macho Man made sure that I got to to be, um, to do things that kind of made me stand out. And, you know, that's amazing, because I, I mean, obviously, I haven't worked with all those amazing, fantastic names that you just, I mean, legends within the business, but, like, I remember, like, okay, we don't really have anything for you, Stephanie, but we're going to put you with so-and-so, and you're going to be a manager. And I'm like, okay, so what's going on in the match? And they're like, yeah, you just stand there. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. that's I it. lucked out big time with every yeah. person that I've been paired with. I mean, obviously with Macho Man, he let me get super involved. When I was with Crash Holly, he was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And he just saw me as a teammate and, like, almost like a tag team partner. I mean, mm-hmm. we did have a couple mixed tags, but whenever he had a match, he was like, okay, you're going to do this and this and this. Like, he just really wanted me involved. And with Spike Dudley, always had me involved. Hurricane, like, it just worked out good for me that each person that I was, like, paired up with let me accept. And I'm just I, – I just had a flashback of – I was in the WCW developmental, kind of like Macho Man had left WCW. They sent me to the power plant. I was just kind of in limbo, like, I'm still getting a paycheck. What am I supposed to be doing here? And the WCW power plant guys would do, um, like, indie shows to kind of gain experience before they go on TV. And I was Chuck Palumbo's manager. And he would go to the ring without even telling me that it was, like, (laughs) I feel like in the dressing room. I hear his music. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, like, run out there, and, and I, I was, like, so mad. I'm, like, you don't even tell me that you are got bumped up in the card and, like, we're on right now. And so so not everyone is excited to have a female sidekick. Um, and even though Chuck and I are friends in real life and I love him, he was – so, yeah, did not want me <laughs> to be his manager. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of – like, especially, I mean, I came up at a different time than when you did, obviously, and – 
males, they were not having it. And nowadays, you know, you have all these intergender matches. I mean, you really don't even kind of see women on the outside anymore because they're always inside the ring with the men now too. And it's crazy how like the business has changed just yeah. in you know, 20 years, not even. Right. Yeah. It's awesome. I love this. I love the changes. I love that the women are becoming more involved. Me too. And now another thing that I saw, and I love this, when you were fired from WCW and you didn't really have like anything going on, you still had one flight that they had paid for you to go to the power plant and you use that to drive to Alabama to actually try out with WWE at the time. Well, WWF rather at the time. Yeah. So WCW did buy my plane ticket for my WWF tryout <laughs> and, um, and it worked out great for me. I mean, really Dean Malenko, kind of took me under his wing and introduced me to Jim Ross and um and then Jim Ross offered me a developmental contract with the WWE and um and it was awesome. Like I I did not know if they would want me um and they did. So it it worked out good. That's amazing. Now of course, we're just a couple weeks away from WrestleMania and you had some huge WrestleMania moments while you were at WWE. Which one is your favorite of of all of them? Um, I, I'm kind of torn because they were so different, but I did have fun when they, we had the hardcore championship mm -hmm. and, um, you know, where it was like a lot of suspense of like what kind of people were going to be involved and, and how were people going to get pinned and how was it all going to happen? So I loved the creativity of the hardcore championship. Um, and, but the most memorable was probably getting my head shaved at WrestleMania 20, um, that was kind of a shocking thing that I think a lot of people remember. Uh, plus, a title match at WrestleMania is a big deal. So, I would say those they're they're both different, but but they both have like their own things that I love about it. Definitely, and I remember hearing that that was actually your idea. Like that WrestleMania 20 wasn't even supposed to have a women's match, and you're like Vince, please, I'll put up my hair for the you know to wrestle at WrestleMania. Yeah, I had made, like, a storybook of, like, here's how it could go down, and I put on a bald cap and showed, like, this is what I would look like with no hair, and um, and so I I didn't know if they would go for it or not, but I thought, well, I'm just going to give 100, I already give 110% in the ring, so now I'm going to give 110% in a storyline pitch and see if it lands, and um, and they loved it, and they, they said that I could do it, so that was really, really great that they... Um, that they saw value in something that I was really excited about. That's awesome. And I'm sure working with Victoria was just a breeze, too. Oh, she's great. I mean, she's so positive, so upbeat. She's an amazing athlete. The fans love her. Like, yeah, it was. she was a perfect opponent to have. Awesome. Now, how did you approach her with that? Did you tell her that you wanted to put your hair on the line against her? Well, we were talking about how wouldn't it be awesome if, like, she won the match, but then I shave her head, and she was like, "I am not shaving my head." She's like, "No, like you." She's like, "You can shave your head. I'm not, you know." So she did not want to do that, and so we were like, "Well, we weren't set in stone. We we're just like throwing around ideas of like how could this, you know, get the best reaction." Um, but then when she found out that for sure it was me who was getting my head shaved, she was very excited to be a part of it. That's awesome. I love her too. She's I've met her a few times as well and just absolutely a lovely lovely person. So, 
ending your time ending with WWE. Obviously, we're in the middle of the Attitude Era at the time. Women wrestlers were not necessarily wrestlers per se. You had a lot of models. You had the diva search going on right around the same time. And now another thing I loved when you started the uh, shooting the crap uh, shoot DVD. You said you had this line or paragraph from somebody on the internet who said, this is the reason why I left and da-da-da-da-da. And so you're like, this person doesn't even know me. So when you actually left, I mean, I don't feel like this is my story to tell. So if you want to say why you actually left, and then I'll kind of go from there. Yeah, well, um, it did not bother me that we had hired a bunch of Diva Search winners or models or whatever. Those girls are super nice. Michelle McCool is super nice. Even the, the Playboy Playmates, all of, I liked them. And I thought, hey, the more the merrier. Like, it didn't, it didn't, I didn't feel threatened. I didn't feel like these girls didn't pay their dues. Like, I, it's show business. If they can draw money for the company, that also benefits me. So, like, I, I'm just, think that it's good all around if beautiful, talented people can come on board to do whatever they're best at. And um, so it just, that didn't bother me at all. Um, but people thought because of the characters that I played on TV um, or because I was a technician in the ring that mm -hmm. I, that I must have um, had some resentment towards that. Or I believe that all wrestlers should know how to train, you know, switch from a hammer lock to a top wrist lock or or they're garbage, you know, like, it's like, that's dumb. So, so yeah, the main, I mean, about a year before I asked to be let out of my contract, I knew it was just time for me to go. Some of the reasons are that I already accomplished everything there was to accomplish. I had been women's champion. I'm on trading cards. I have an action figure. I'm on video games. I, I had a championship match at WrestleMania. Like, all these things that people would hope for in their careers, like I already did all of that. And some people are like born to be a star. Like they just thrive on the energy of the crowd and they just love entertaining. And I don't really love entertaining. I love hanging out with the people backstage. I like the traveling. It was just um, the stress of being on live TV and uh, having lack of sleep. I just had like all these things that were kind of beating me down and I started crying every single day at work and I'm like, I am not happy here. And so I knew that I should leave like in about a year before I actually did. And then it was, I had a health scare that was kind of like, I don't know if you call it like the nail in the coffin or the straw that broke the camel's back or however you want to say it. It was just that thing that I needed to be like, it's okay for me to walk away. Like, I know I still have time on my contract left. I know that most people would like do anything to be in my spot and to throw that away might seem disrespectful to people pursuing their dreams or something. But I just knew that it was just time for me to, to be done. Amazing. And I think that takes a lot of courage to do too, because like you said, there's so many people that would love to have that spot. And you know, like at that time, that's just not what you wanted in life. So for you to just be able to say, hey, you know, I'm not, I don't want to take up space here for somebody else who maybe could do it and, you know, be succeeding in their own lives. I think that's wonderful. And yeah. I love that you said that Vince always said the door was open for you, whether you wanted to take six days or a year off. Yeah. I mean, they, 
and and John John Laurinaitis was the talent relations guy at the time, mm-hmm. and he called me the next day after I asked Vince if I could be let on my contract, and he's like, "Are you sure you don't just want like a break? You know, because you can still get paid <laughs> taking a break, you know." And I and I was like, "Nope, I'm just done." And um, it is nice to know that I left on good terms, and obviously I've been on the show a few times since I left. So that feels good that they still want me to be a part of what they're doing. The first time they had me back for some legends thing, I was like, I was like, Oh, I'm a legend. Like I consider myself like a has been of like, Oh, no. I like, Oh, they're having a has been back. But they're like, you're not a has been a legend. I was like, Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> well, definitely. That's I've had talks with other friends of mine within the business. And I mean, you are a legend to us. I mean, you paved the way, along with many other women, to what we have today. And, I mean, you mentioned you've been back a few times, including Evolution and including Royal Rumble you were in. I mean, how does that feel when you go back and you have women who are now being successful in the ring saying thank you to you because you were one of those people that inspired them? Yeah, it's it's cool. Like when they say, oh, when I was 10 years old, you were my favorite or something. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, so it, it is, I mean, it's flattering. It feels good to be, like, honored. And um, the, I always feel a little bit embarrassed because when I do have to actually get in the ring, I just think, like, oh, I'm going to be holding them back. Like, if we have to do an interaction, I'm just, like, because I'm not conditioned currently mm-hmm. to be a pro wrestler, I'm like, oh, they're going to have to slow their pace a half a step or a full step to match mine since I can't keep up with them. And I was nervous because I thought, oh, I don't want them thinking like, oh, this old lady is like wrecking our show. But everyone was like, no, this is awesome. And they all seemed super nice. And they all took very good care of me. They tried to make sure that they could like make up for my weak areas. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's been it's been fun. That's awesome. Now, I know that over the course of your career, you've actually done a lot of training. You mentioned uh, with Gorgeous George earlier, you have, I think, trained some of the Nitro girls as well. And, I mean, you've done various training. Has WWE ever reached out to you to maybe come down and be a a coach at the Performance Center? Yes, they have. And I just don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds terrible, but I just... I'm so far removed from that world. Like, it's just, I don't want to be this, like, grizzled, bitter, jaded trainer who is, like, I don't know. They need to have trainers who are passionate about pro wrestling, who, like, love the psychology of it and love, you know, like, because you can meet certain people on the indies or people who used to work for WWE or people who do work for WWE where they just light up when their creative juices are going and they're like, Ooh, you can do this, you can do that. And it's like, those are the kind of people you need to have as a trainer. Um, even though back in the day I might've had skills or experience as a trainer. Um, I'm not at that place now where I feel like excited about doing that type of job. Oh, that makes sense too. I mean, like I said, it has to take courage to say, like, no to WWE because I'm sure that that would be a great opportunity for a lot of the women that are there now who, like I said, have been inspired by you in the past. I mean, even me, like, I I love everything you did in the ring. And so, if, like, I had that opportunity to, 
sit under the learning tree of, of Molly Holly, that would just be amazing. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Now, something else I want to share, because I had Shane Helms on a couple months ago. Oh, and okay. he shared a story, because I asked him what, like, some of his favorite stories were from the road. And there was this one story that he had with you, and it had me cracking up so much. And I want to see what your recollection of this story is. So he said that you guys had co- uh, gone to um, a city a day earlier or whatever because there was some kind of radio station thing going on and you guys were making an appearance as as uh, um, excuse me as Hurricane Helms and Mighty Molly and you were waiting for your suitcase and he's like I know not to ask Molly if she wants me to take her suitcase because she's gonna say that she can handle it herself so he goes on and he he sees a limo and he gets into the limo and there's a lot of scantily clad women there and he's like is this for us because he's like just making sure you know maybe they're the godfather's hose is what he thought and then he said like they're like no we're just from the radio station and he's like oh okay and he sees you coming and he's like oh this is gonna be good because <laughs> knowing how you know how you uh handle your own self he's like this this is gonna be he's like i had a chance to tell her and i just didn't <laughs> Yeah, the, what I remember from that is that um, Shane had asked the ladies if they were, well, I don't remember this exactly. I feel yeah. like it's vague, but something like he said, oh, are you the Godfather's hose? And they were like, what? And I was like, oh, he means the actresses that portray um, sexy women on our programming. <laughs> you know? yeah, like trying true. to cover up, like, if they don't know that hose it was like a thing, you know, so anyway, I didn't want to insult them, um, but, uh, but yeah, I can, yeah, it was, um, you, sometimes you just never know. <laughs> awesome, and a couple of my personal stories that I wanted to share with you to see if you even remember some of these. What the first one was, I saw you at a convention in LA, I think it might have been Royal Rumble weekend or something, and uh, you were out in a courtyard where it was like you had to pay extra money to come see these superstars. Like you couldn't just walk up to you and get get merch or whatever. You had to pay a fee and then you got autographs, whatever the case. There was like New Age Outlaws were there and all these other different names. And I was talking to somebody behind you and you were like, oh, hey, Stephanie, there's a billboard in my neighborhood that looks like you. She's, and you're like, can I get your number and I'm going to send it to you? And I was like, yeah, okay, that's amazing. First off that you're acknowledging me because I'm just standing like behind talking to somebody else. And I was like, yeah, of course. So I gave you my number and I was like, I'm never going to hear from her, you know? So then like, I don't know, maybe a month later or something, I just get this billboard picture and I'm like, that does look like me. And Molly Holly just texted me. This is like the coolest day of my life. I do remember that billboard, and I do remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I, that looks so much like her. So I couldn't remember if I followed through and sent it to you, so I'm yeah. glad that I did. Yeah, that was awesome. I was like, that's so cool that Molly Holly's texting me. <laughs> and then the next thing was you had come into Remix Pro Wrestling, which I had wrestled at for uh, quite a long time in Ohio. I love that promotion. And you came in and did a spot show with, with Shane as Mighty Molly. And you come down into the locker room, well, the locker room, the cafeteria area of this little um, high school that we were at. And you're like, oh, hi, Stephanie. It's somebody I know. And I was like, yeah, you guys hear that? Molly knows who I am. That's right. <laughs> and I was so excited. But I don't know if 
if Shane had tucked you away in the in the other locker room, but we have like an all women's locker room on the other side, and I was like, where is Molly? And then like I never saw you the rest of the show. Oh, I don't remember. Like yeah. I don't remember if I had my own dressing room or I don't. I I probably didn't even know that there was another locker room. I mean, half the time when I do stuff like that, I'm changing in the public bathroom. I was yeah. like, I hope nobody sees my shiny boots <laughs> underneath the stall. <laughs> Well, that's the thing with independent shows. Sometimes you never know what you're going to be changing into or even if you'll have an area. Like, I know there's been times where I've had to have people, like, hold towels up just so I can change. Yep, yep, I have also done that. (laughs) Get your stuff together when indie shows start running again, promoters, just so you know. (laughs) So, obviously, you, you said you've left wrestling behind. You're not passionate about that anymore. I know you do a lot of charity work. What are you doing now that keeps you happy? So there's a few different um, – and, and things have – like how it looks has changed over the last year. But um, I've been involved with Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, which um, it is a one-year Christ-centered um, chemical dependency and other life-controlling issues program. And so um, I've been involved with that a lot over the last 20 years or 17 years or however long it's been, it's been a while. Um, and I love that ministry. I love what it does um, for the, well, I worked with the adult women. It's called Minnesota adult and teen challenge, but I worked with adult women and met some amazing people. And then also um, women coming out of incarceration. There's a halfway house, not far from the city that I live in. And so I would make connections with the women at the halfway house. And then typically invite them to come to church with me and my friends. And so we'd all like sit together in a certain section at church and then other hobbies, um, invite them to, there's a, a, a group, it's a running club called mile in my shoes mm-hmm. and mile in my shoes takes people coming out of incarceration and homelessness and gives them a new pair of shoes and some other running gear. And then they commit to running together. Um, it's usually someone, who is, um, they call it like a, like a run mentee and then a run mentor that, uh, pair up and you run as a running club teaching like positive community and uh, like a healthy habit for people that are looking to start a new life. That's beautiful. And just has anybody ever recognized you from being Molly, Holly from WWE? No, I mean, if they have, they didn't say anything mm-hmm. I mean when I'm running around like right now I have fake eyelashes on and I've, you know <laughs> like I tried to put on some makeup but in my regular life like I don't look like anybody that would have ever been on tv I mean sometimes people compliment my teeth because I know how to bleach them <laughs> but but other than that like it's just um no nobody looks at me and says, and plus I'm like kind of a smaller person and people think of pro wrestlers as like big. Um, and so if someone finds out that I was, that is not true. I just thought of one person, but here's why. So I had for a while at Minnesota adult and teen challenge, my job was to go take residents of the rehab into the public schools, and they would share their personal story of addiction. And I would also share a little bit about my life. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, I'm at this halfway house, um, where people from Mile in My Shoes are volunteering to the people coming out of incarceration of the running club. And there was a kid, when I say kid, he's like probably 21 or so, and we were running together. And he said, 
you look familiar to me. Did you speak in my high school class? And I was like, uh, which school? And he told me, and I was like, oh, I used to speak at that, that school all the time with Teen Challenge. And he goes, and you're the one who knows Stone Cold Steve Austin? Like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, I must have told a story about Stone Cold yeah. in that class that day or something, you know? And he's like, yes, the wrestler. So, so he did recognize me, but I think part of it was that I was also at his class. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fantastic. I'm so, like, happy that you're happy. Like, I can see, like, when you talk about the things that you're doing now with, with the incarceration and people coming out of incarceration, like, the difference in your face, like, when you talk about wrestling, like, it was fun, you could see, but, like, your eyes light up a different way when you talk about what you're doing now. I, my life, I mean, this is, like, crazy, but I drive a 17-year-old vehicle. I live in a 700-square-foot house. I have the world's most simple life, and I love it. Like, I am so content, so happy. I have awesome relationships. I feel like I'm living a life of purpose, and, um, I don't have, like, what other people would look at as, like, a vision of success. I, I was just, uh, maybe it was, like, two years ago or something, I was talking with Lillian Garcia, and she's like, well, don't you feel like with your giftings and your talents and your background that you could be doing more as, like, a public figure? And I was like, you know, all that, to be a public figure today, you have to be on Twitter and on Instagram, like, all these things. And every time I even look at that type of thing, it just sucks the life right out of me. I'm like, man, it's so much us versus them and so much judgment and so much, like, I just, I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I just can't. And so even though I maybe could make way more money and I could be an influencer and I could change the world by doing these big things, I'm like, man, I feel so good about just making a difference in my little town out just right outside the Twin Cities, you know, just, um, yeah, the simple life. I love it. And that's perfect because, like you said, it's not for everyone, the little life or the big life, depending on, you know, how you're, you're raised, the way you go in your life. I mean, you you found what makes you happy, and ultimately I think that is what I would say is success, whatever makes you happy. Right. Well, it has been such a pleasure to have you on, Molly. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Definitely. Thank you guys so much. This is Talking Sass. We'll see you guys next time. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer, The Maestro, former Impact performer, Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor, Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality, Bruce Wirtz. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirtz, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, Featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro, both shows take callers live during the show. And recent guests have included General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive free content includes past interviews 
with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. This is your amiga, Shelly from Cali, to let you know you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We've excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation radio network.